the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I will uh, be having a dialogue here with uh, one of the greatest minds alive today in the world, Tom Sowell. He's been on the show many times. His books are critical to an understanding of the world. And he has a newly revised and expanded edition of Discrimination and Disparities. I have ribbed Tom Sowell almost every time he's been on of having the least sexy titles for books ever, ever. I think there must be a group <laughs> that you consult with, and uh, I don't know how you take a vote. A discrimination and disparities, I told you, it is not like Soul's Guide to Swimsuit Competitions. <laughs> it, it... <laughs> oh. uh, unfortunately, I, I can't, I can't uh, bl- blame uh, unindicted conspirators. No. Uh, I, I do this all on my own, which perhaps I should uh, reconsider. I have to speak to your wife about these titles. I, somebody has to have influence on you. Folks, It is the, the thing is, though, it is exactly like basic economics. It is exactly what the title says. The, I, I, it is not possible to overstate the influence and importance of Tom Sowell as a thinker. Before we get into this latest book, Tom, you, would you describe yourself now as retired no, and, and and I'm sure my research assistant wouldn't describe me that way, because they're working, you know, sometimes on weekends. <laughs> uh huh. So you're only you're only retired from column writing. Yes. Which and I'm so glad, and I'm so and I'm so glad I did it when I did, because it has spared me from reading some of the most ridiculous political stuff over the past couple of years. You know that is so funny. You should say because I so relate to it. I actually tell my listeners, if I did not have this talk show, I would be spared daily pain in having to read what I have to read. That in Connecticut, the, the records for girls' races now are, are now held by male bodies who say that they are female. Oh. Yeah, I know. But, but if, if I didn't have to do the show, I, I wouldn't immerse myself in, in such absurdities. Well, I, uh, that, and I'm, that's certainly true in my, in, in my case, and I'm probably less informed about political affairs now than at any time in the, in the past half century. Yeah, I believe that. Now, one other question aside from your book. You are uh, an accomplished photographer. Are you spending time with that? I am, not as much as I would like, uh, but, 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 but that, that is my main thing. When, once I get the next couple of books done... Uh, I, I expect that to be my main preoccupation. It's going to be my pre- preoccupation to a great extent, uh, even now. What camera are you using? I'm using the Nikon D, my gosh, 850. Okay, so, all right. Oh, you, you know your stuff. If you're using the D850. So let me tell you, I just ordered the mirrorless version of the D850, the Z7. Uh-huh. 
So uh, we're, I, I know exactly what you have, and I don't even know if you even know the Z7 came out. It, it's, uh, but take a look. Read about it. it it's, it's quite remarkable. And uh, you, what are you, your favorite things I know are, are scenes, correct, landscapes? Oh, yes. I mean, my, 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 my uh, uh, website, uh, tsoul.com, uh, has a, a, a few dozen of my pictures on it. Yeah, well, people should all t soul s o w e l l dot com. I you don't even have to respond to this. I just want to say to my audience, Tom Soul would be one of the few well uh, household name intellectuals in this country. Were he not on the conservative side, that the New York Times does not review your books uh, is a is a is as good an example as I can give at all about the utter bias of that newspaper. You don't have to react, but you're free to if you want. Well, that's true. And the, the, the uh, uh, New York Review, neither does the New York Review of Books. Uh, many years ago, about 30 years ago, uh, they, did, uh, they devoted two issues to a review of my books. And, and uh, fortunately for me, they allowed me to reply and uh, uh, I, I think I did a fairly good job. And they have never, never reviewed a book of mine since. In 30 years. Yes. All right. Let's talk about the latest book. And it is titled Discrimination and Disparities. And that's exactly, I mean, to be fair, they're not sexy titles, but that's exactly what it's about. Does discrimination cause economic disparity? That's essentially... Uh, what it is about, and you, is another way of titling your book, because there is actually a book by a man named Lawrence Harrison, uh, titled Who Prospers. Is that another way of describing this book? Yes, and and, and in fact, uh, there's no question that discrimination is among the hundreds, if not thousands, of reasons why there is nothing resembling uh, even distributions of individuals, groups, or nations in economic activities or any other activities. Right, which of course flies in the face of doctrine of the left, which holds that uh, the, the most obvious example is that black America lags behind white America economically because of racism. Well, actually, the uh, the, the, the difference between the incomes of uh, middle-aged Americans and uh, Americans in the early 20s is greater than the difference between uh, blacks and whites. But, of course, there's no political uh, um, gain to be uh, had by, uh, by saying that, and so it doesn't get said. Yeah, that, that is a fascinating uh, tidbit. By the way, talking about that, how do you react to the, uh, the statement this will be the first generation in American history that is not better off than its parents. Oh, yes. And uh, I, I think the economic differences are not the only differences. We have become overly regimented to the point where there will be soon be a population that has no remembrance of having been free of all these things that impinge on our lives from the government. The worst example, of course, being Obamacare, you know, the, the lie repeated uh, endlessly that you can keep your own doctor. They have in many ways made the medical system worse than it was. Uh, the thing that's 
really appalls me the most is I, I hear about polls and other evidence that doctors today are saying they would not advise other people to go into medicine. That it is made, you know, in the long run, the consequences are unavoidable. The people who are doctors now, they're not going to stop and become engineers or bus drivers. But in terms of recruiting their replacements, qualitatively as well as quantitatively, you, they have turned medicine into such a, a bureaucratic nightmare that uh, it has nothing like the attraction it once had for people who simply wanted to treat other people's illnesses. Well, there's another factor I'd like you to comment on, and that is that they're not even called doctors. They're called health care providers. I think uh, that's significant. Yes. These, these kinds of word games enable, enable people to find more disparities. Uh, 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 for example, uh, there, was, there was a story about how uh, airline employees in Britain, that male airline employees, are paid more than female airline employees. Now, you can call people airline employees, but that doesn't mean that there's no difference between a pilot and a flight attendant. And most pilots are male, and most flight attendants are female. And so by homogenizing them under a given title, you create a, you create a, a discrimination case out of the simple fact that pilots generally get more paid more than flight attendants, regardless of whether they're male or female. This is absolutely fascinating. That has been widely reported in Britain that airline employees have a disparity of income between male and female lumping in everybody with pilots? Yes. So I want to ask you, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of putting you on the spot, and you could plead the fifth. Do they know they're being dishonest? And I don't, I'm not being cute. I'm being totally sincere. What, what is going on in their mind? I wish I knew, but I think there are a lot of people who simply think in terms of talking points. And when they see a talking point, they make it. And, it, and the whole question of truth and falsity may not even occur to them. Uh, they may not be as cynical of Harry Reeve and one of his lies about Mitt Romney, Mitt Romney uh, was, was shown. He simply said, well, it worked, didn't it? Uh, they may not be that cynical, but again, if they just think in terms of talking points, the issue may never even have arisen. You saw, there was another study years ago about uh, young male doctors and young female doctors. In this, time, in this case, it was really, really were doctors. Uh, and they found that the young male doctors uh, earned uh, substantially more than the young female doctors. Uh, but when you got into the details, you discovered that young male doctors averaged more than 500 hours of work per year than young female doctors. And uh, that might have something to do, working 500 hours, uh, uh, might have something to do with your having a higher income. Now, why, the, why, that, why that difference existed in many things, I suspect some of the f young female doctors uh, were pregnant. Uh, and although I don't know the number, I do know the number of male doctors who were pregnant, which was zero. Now, that's changing, by the way. Oh, yes. <laughs> Uh, so far, it's been zero. That is exactly right. That so that's another example of dishonesty in statistics. Oh yes, and and well, the, the, well, one of the things that gets me about the income stuff—they're forever talking about you know the top ten percent, the top one percent, top four hundred uh, people, and so on. And what people don't realize is that 
these statements may be true as of a given moment, but most people's lives last longer than a moment. So just over half of all American income recipients are in the top 10% at some point in their lives. Uh, if you look at the top 400, about so much has been written. Uh, an internal revenue service uh, data came out showing that over a period of 23 years, there were 4,584 people in the top 400. Most were in that bracket one year out of those 23 years. Wow. And so uh, the, the turnover is, is the ignored elephant in the room when it comes to income disparity statistics. Uh, even with John Rawls, uh, uh, he talks constantly about the poor, the rich, the this, the that. And throughout, you get no sense. You, you do get the sense that there's a fixed body of people who are in these various mm-hmm. brackets and so on, uh, when in fact most Americans do not stay in the same uh, income bracket uh, more, than, more than a decade. I'm speaking to Tom Sowell, and the book that we're featuring is just uh, expanded and revised, Discrimination and Disparities. What, if anything, and, and, and you may have had it clear at a very early age, but let's say in the last 30, 40 years, is there anything that you, uh, that really, some great revelation in your life about economics, about society, about humanity, or did you pretty much have it clear 30, 40 years ago? Well, I can trace it very, very specifically to the summer of 1960. When I was uh, very much on the left, uh, and I worked for for a summer at the U.S. Department of Labor, uh, and I was greatly concerned about the minimum wage law because, uh, on the one hand, it's supposed to raise the income of poor people. On the other hand, uh, the economic analysis says that uh, the, uh, it, it causes poor people to lose their jobs. And uh, in any event, I came up finally, by the end of the summer, I came up with some way to test empirically which of those things was true. And I expected to be congratulated by the economists around me, and they looked appalled. It was like this this, this character is going to do something that's going to ruin us all, because the U.S. Department of Labor has a vested interest in the minimum wage law which I believe uh, paid for something like a third of the department's budget at that time. And, I, and once I realized that government agencies have their own interests, wholly independent of the interests of those who set up those agencies, I realized that government is not the way to go. Do you know that in the 1970s, the New York Times editorialized the right minimum wage is zero dollars and zero cents? No. Yes. Sanity at the New York Times. No, I know. It gives, it, look, it was always on the left, but it wasn't on the far left. And and now it is. And that is a perfect example. I know I, I was as shocked as you. I actually saw it. My gosh. Yeah. No, it's a real deterioration. What do you, what would, if you could give a lecture to a college audience and tell them why they are going down the wrong path in in their attitude toward capitalism. What would you say in a nutshell? I would say that socialism is a wonderful idea. It is only as a reality that it has been a disaster. And that if you want to 
you know, talk about the real world and the, and the likely consequences of doing something. You, you don't start with what the uh, goal is or, 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 what, or what the rhetoric is. You try to find out what the facts have been when this has been tried before. Uh, in the case of the minimum wage law, there's been so much uh, evidence, much of which appears in, in the new book, uh, uh, that it prices people out of a job. Now imagine you're speaking to 500 black students, most of whom believe that discrimination is systemic, that's, that's the key left word, and that's what holds blacks back. What would you say? My gosh, that, 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 that's a tougher one. But uh, I, I think I would say essentially the same thing, that uh, if, you, if, you look, if you look at facts, you, you find a very different picture than if you look at other stuff. For example, one of the, one of the things I'm doing research on now are charter schools. And I think that some of the successful ones like the KIPP schools and the success academies, they have destroyed virtually every excuse or theory across the ideological spectrum. Uh, you can start with the genetic theory, well, blacks don't have the right genes to do well. Well, uh, a few years ago, there was a fifth-grade class in Harlem that scored higher on the statewide math test than any, sta- any fifth-grade class anywhere in the state of New York. Uh, and, and these were kids selected not on the basis of ability, but by lottery. And so that, that goes down the tube. Well then, wait, 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 wait. Forgive me. Were they at a charter school? Yes, Success Academy Charter School in Harlem. And that scored the highest of all fifth grade schools in America. Uh, no, just in New York. I state. mean, in New York State. I'm sorry, in New York State. Yes, that's an amazing piece of data. Yes, and the, the other, and you go on to the other end of the scale, and you say, well, you know, the tests are culturally biased. How come they're not culturally biased for these fifth grade kids in that charter school? You know, and and in and most and success academy schools, there are extremely few white students. I mean, we're talking maybe one two percent at most. And the teachers union unions want to destroy charter schools. Starting with success academy, Mayor De Blasio of New York has put up more obstacles to success academies. He has insulted the founder of it, Eva Moskowitz, personally. And he said, she, 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 he, she, they, are, they are bitter enemies. Uh, and beginning this year, with so many people in the Democratic Party being both reelected and planning to run for president next year, there are plans across the country, and some are going into effect, to restrict the number of car, charter schools, to interfere with them in various ways, uh, which will then get money from the teachers' union that they'll need in next year's election campaign. Why are the teachers' unions opposed to charter schools? Oh, well, if you saw the data I saw, there would be no mystery. It so happens that the first KIPP charter school in New York State was uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a school building about a half a mile southeast of Yankee Stadium. And uh, they were allowed to have space in that room only on condition that there be nothing to identify that, that a separate school existed. And for a while... Uh, the, the data on that school were not allowed to be uh, displayed uh, separately in the official reports. They were just lumped in with all the other data for the kids in that school. And, and now 
years later, when it when it becomes possible to get them, get the data separately, it's clear that the, that they do so much better, and it's not unique to that school. It's common if you go through the charter schools, the successful ones, like right. But what what threat does this pose to the teachers' unions? Oh, a, a, a deadly threat, because charter schools have been expanding uh, faster, far faster than the public schools have been expanding, uh, and and the results are so huge that if they do not impede the charter schools from getting classrooms and so forth, they'll be wiped out. In New York City alone, there are 50,000 people on the waiting list for the charter schools. And they, and, uh, they now uh, have decided there'll be no more charter schools uh, authorized. You know, they have a moratorium. And so if those 50,000 students go from the public schools to the charter schools, in a city where it's $20,000 per student expenditure, we're talking about more than a billion dollars a year. Uh, okay, I get it. Yeah. All right. Teachers unions don't care about students. That's the amazing truth. Tom Sowell's book, Discrimination and Disparities. Why there are disparities. So, so answer that part, too. Why are there disparities in income? Oh, my gosh. There's, do you have a couple of hours? Uh, almost everything you think of is, is disparate. Uh, one of the things I mentioned earlier on in the book, you know, that uh, I first get, le- got into this when uh, I learned that among the, the, the National Merit Scholarship finalists from five-child families, the firstborn is the finalist more often than the other four put together. And the same is true in four-child and three-child families. And my gosh, this, these are people born to the same parents, raised under the same roof. Well, there are differences. You know, the, the, in fact, the, the, the only child is, is even more overrepresented, not only uh, in, in that particular test, but, in, but you know, on IQ, uh, on careers, on money, on almost anything you mention. Uh, classical uh, composers, leading classical composers, astronauts, whatever. And you think... There's, there's never been anything close to even chances for everybody or every group or every, or every nation. Yet that's assumed as the background probability so that whenever they find disparities, they figure somebody must have interfered. Exactly. May, may, I, may I go back to something you asked me before? Sure. About wh- whether uh, the people were lying. And I, and I mentioned this in the, uh, in the new book. There's a whole new chapter on... Uh, the world of words, and I point out his famous history books that lasted for generations by all kinds of distinguished scholars have grossly distorted what happened at the first attempt at, at, at reducing income taxes in the 1920s. They say the very opposite of what happened. And, I, and the question is, oh, are they lying? I don't think so. I think that there are certain ideas that have gotten out there, and since all the people around them believe these ideas, they write about them as if those ideas are proven facts. Mm. I, I have in my files the actual internal revenue service data for the entire decade of the 1920s, and it says the direct opposite of what I was reading just the other day in a famous history textbook that sells for more than $100 a copy. And what is, what, I'm curious now, what, what is the prevailing wisdom on it? Ah, uh, uh, that Mellon uh, pr- produced a plan that had tax cuts for the rich 
and that after those plans, the rich didn't have to pay as much taxes, uh, and, and that this hurt the economy because the government didn't have enough money. When you go, when you go in, 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 into it, and again, a lot depends on the words. Are you talking about tax rates or tax revenue? And uh, the tax revenues rose, and most of it rose from the higher income people by substantial amount. The government ran such a surplus that they paid off a quarter of the national debt. And none of this is, is uh, mysterious or requires esoteric research. You can just go on the Internet and discover it. Amazing. Talking about national debt, uh, I have uh, I have said on a number of occasions I am more worried about global debt than global warming. Are you worried about global debt? I am, and I'm not worried about global warming. I'm not shocked. You're a clear thinker. So tell me what what's going to happen. I I have that is truly my darkest vision of the future, uh, and it's with regard to global debt. Oh, well, probably it will reach the point where it cannot be honestly paid off. Mm-hmm. And therefore, they will dishonestly pay it off. By printing more money? Printing more money or various other devices that, that, that can uh, accomplish the same thing. I know, I, you must remember, what, was, what did they call it? Uh, um, uh, I, I can't, I can't think, think of the phrase. You mean the phrase for quantitative easing? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. You mean printing money? Yes. They can always come up with a, a phrase mm-hmm. that will never tell you what is, what's happening. And quantitative easing was it. Well, I know. I love that. Quantitative easing. It's, the left has an ability to come up with phrases that is borders on the genius. It is. Yeah. It's never what it is, but it sounds it sounds great. It's like there's no, there are no illegal immigrants. There are only undocumented uh, uh, immigrants. The only group that has, that has a zero crime rate in this country are the homeless. Because whenever some homeless person uh, commits a crime, they call him a transient. <laughs> that is hilarious. That's a perfect example. So what, that, is, that is what's going to be with, glo- with global debt? But then if that happens, then it, it'll be Weimar Republic-like inflation. Yes. Well, we know what that led to. Yes. So you have you have a dark vision in this regard too the the, the debt issue, especially about many many things. I must tell you that whenever I take an annual checkup and they tell me there's nothing seriously wrong, I feel a great relief, and then I feel a great apprehension that I'm going to live to see this nation destroyed right before my eyes. Yeah, where you're a kindred spirit. I, I that's why I work so hard to prevent it. But I you know n- nobody knows. I mean, when half of, of American students believe, <laughs> excuse me, believe that it's okay to suppress speech if it's hate speech. Yes. This is brand new in American history. Yes. So uh, I don't want to. I don't want to end on a. Even though it's there's a, obviously a, a great reason for worry about the future of the country. So. What do you think can turn it around? Oh, I guess just just efforts, just efforts to get at facts. You mentioned before you raised the question, which uh, uh, about whether I was an only only child. Yeah. Uh, biologically, I was the sixth child in my family. Both my parents died young, and I have no memory of them. So I was raised 
as an only child mm-hmm. in a family of four adults. Mm-hmm. And in old age, when I had a son, I asked one of the surviving members of the family, how old was I when I, when I could first walk? And she said, oh, Tommy, nobody knows when you could walk. Somebody was always carrying you. Now, these, the people who raised me were poor. They had extremely little education. But they gave me the kind of attention in the earliest years of my uh, development that were worth more than any money or anything or anything else they could have given me. Mm, I could cry. It's so powerful. You know, to the charge of white privilege, I have answered the biggest privilege is father privilege. So how so? Having a father. That's a privilege. Yes, there's no two ways. There's no two ways. That's what. Yes, that that's that. It's not the issue of, of, of wealth or race. It's having two parents in your life, if that's possible. And better yet, if you have you have four four people in the, in the family, all of whom are adults. Who was the so? Who was the who were the others? Well, well, there, there were there were uh, the two uh, the two adults who raised you. Yes, and who and were then, the others? Then there, then there are there are two sisters. I see they were there and, too. And then uh, one of them one of them married a man who had himself been a, a, an orphan. Hmm. And so he knew, and he knew that I was an orphan, even though I didn't know it. Hmm. And so throughout my early years, whenever there was any even criticism of me, much less any attempt to punish me, he would jump in. Hmm. You see, and I mean these these, these things are sheer luck. Yes. But, but the luck can at least tell you what's effective and what's That's not. That's right. Effective. All right. Listen, my friend. May you uh, continue writing for many, many years. Discrimination and Disparities, the latest book, up at DennisPrager.com. Thank you, Tom Sowell. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.